And good afternoon. It's 4 o'clock. Thanks for tuning in to CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located here in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. Uh, this is Finding a Voice, a spoken word program airing here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. Coming up on the show today, I'm actually, uh, this whole show is going to feature essentially one event. In the first hour, tied to a November 19th book launch and reading event at Novel Idea Bookstore, featuring the fall release of three invisible publishing books. You'll hear three interviews in this hour I've, uh, that I'd conducted with the authors that afternoon ahead of it. And they are Shazia Hafiz uh, Ramji, Susanna M. Smith, and H.B. Hogan. Uh, the interviews were arranged, rearranged. Uh, they happened different in the afternoon, but I said just to rearrange them in this hour to the order of the evening's launch. So in the second hour, from then the launch that evening at Novel Idea Bookstore, you'll hear Shazia reading from her collection of poetry, Port of Bean. Susanna reading from her described as Curiosity Cabinet as Novel called a fairy tale museum and hb hogan reading from her short story collection called this keeps happening this first though the usual hourly announcement occasionally some poetry spoken word or music playing on this show may contain strong language but it's all plain in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. So up first, again, from those November 19th interviews done with the authors launching that evening at Novel Idea as part of Invisible Publishing's Kingston Fall Launch, here is uh, Shazia Hafiz Ramji in my interview with her. Well, I'm happy to have with me here Shazia Hafiz Ramji. And I also have the publisher, Lee Nash, here with me as well. And, and uh, Shazia's new book, uh, Book of Poetry, called uh, Port uh, of Bean. And Lee is uh, Invisible Publishing. Well, I have you here. Did you used to be called Invisible Press Publishing? Nope. No, it was always Invisible pu pu Publishing? But we answer to the many names we get called. Okay. So... We get called invisible books, invisible press. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're, we're generically invisible. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just. Thank you for having us. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to have you here. Yeah, both of you. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. Yeah, I asked Lee if she would hold my hand during the interviews. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you out there at Radio Land, they're not holding, and she's not having to hold her hand yet. I don't know. I will let you know if it gets to that point. <laughs> Very cool. Well, it was very uh, good to see you again, Lee, and it's nice to meet you. Perfect. We're going to go probably way back, perhaps even childhood. Uh, do you uh, remember either something general or general things or specific things uh, that uh, happened to you that made you think, hey, one day I want to be a writer? That's really difficult. Um, I don't think I ever knew I was going to be a writer, or it never occurred to me in my mind that mm -hmm. I was going to be a writer, but I remember wanting to be a spy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and wanting to be an explorer, and always just going around the garden outside and 
writing things down as I saw them. Okay, well, yeah. yeah. So you kind of, you were a writer, but you didn't realize you were a writer. Is exactly. that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Then my very kind English teacher, uh, she told me, oh, she, I showed her what I was, she said, what did you do over the weekend? And I said, I did these, you know, collections. And I gave her my papers of all the descriptions of the rocks and things that I'd collected and she said you're a poet and I said oh wow what's a poet (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's cool when you have those it doesn't happen very often when you have those teachers in your life Mm -hmm. that just kind of nudge you to go or, or or encourage you to continue doing something that you're doing and sometimes there are few and far between so that's really cool yeah i was just talking to lee last night about teachers in that sense too and lee was talking about priscilla paul who's yeah. been one of her mentors oh wow i did not know that yeah 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 she's a big influence on me oh wow that is yeah. sweet yeah cool well, after you went home and looked up poet, then I guess uh, <laughs> can you? Uh, when did it become? When did writing then become serious for you? Uh, maybe, uh, uh, maybe your first writings, uh, more serious writings, or perhaps even your first attempts at publishing. Can you tell us a bit about that? Um, my first ever poetry publication was in 2012. Wow! With CB2 magazine. Oh, sweet! Yeah, yeah, yeah and that was a really big surprise because they're a really established in magazine that publishes a lot of groundbreaking mm-hmm. work and lots of good poets. So at the time, I didn't know how much of a big deal it was, but they definitely, you know, let me into the world and sweet. welcomed me. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, I know CB2. They're really a great. Uh, Lit mm-hmm. makes so yeah. Oh, that's wonderful! What a nice jump into the world, right? Yeah, into the lit world. That was my first professional publication. That's wonderful. I bet you were excited and overjoyed. I was. I was very surprised. I wasn't expecting to get it, but I knew that I just had to keep on doing whatever it is mm. I was doing, which was writing poems and poem-like things and sending them out into the world. Because otherwise, what's the point? <laughs> cool. <laughs> I was going to ask it later on, but actually we can bring it up now. Where have you been published? Um, magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, recently I've been doing a lot of criticism, so I just published a review of um, Theory, a novel by Dion Brandt in the Hamilton wow. Review Books. Wonderful. And then I reviewed uh, Michael Redhill's Bellevue Square for the Canadian Literature. Michael Redhill was actually Lee's mentor. We talked about this. MFA. Wow, that is well. This is, <laughs> it's funny how yeah. uh, all of these cross yeah. things have happened here. Mm-hmm. And I had some poems in Filling Station earlier this year, which got um, shortlisted for the Alberta Magazine Awards. Wow! Which was a surprise, I found out on social media that time. <laughs> <laughs> And Best Canadian Poetry this year. My uh, poem got anthologized. So that was a big surprise, too. wasn't expecting. Oh, that is just beautiful. That's so cool. Wonderful things are happening for yeah. you. Yeah, ever since I met Lee. Yeah, that, <laughs> you had good stuff before, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. And uh, maybe... It sounds like more of your very early writing. Well, let's just talk about when you started to get serious about writing. Did you? Can you say that there is anyone out there that you were reading at the time, or that even influence you could call an influence uh, in your writing, either then back in what you said 2012, or just before that, or, or now, and has that changed? 
Yeah, I definitely really liked Phyllis Webb. Cool. Yeah, and um, especially her guzzles, which is a Persian form, but I came to them through Phyllis. And, you know, my parents talked about them at home, but I'd mm-hmm. always like, roll my eyes and go in the other room. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> my dad would always be singing these sad songs, and I never wanted to listen to them. <laughs> so, so Phyllis showed me how they could be beautiful. That's And wonderful. how I could play with the form a little bit to break the traditional patterns of the guzzle. And so she, she really helped me, I think, and she also experienced... Um, depression, and she sees things very attentively in the mm-hmm. world. So I really like that. She's a quiet, sort of piercing, lyrical poet. Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And uh, do you have like a specific or sort of specific writing practice or routine? Um, I wish that I did. When I'm unemployed <laughs> and lucky <laughs> to have a little bit of money, I usually wake up around 6 and then try to do a lot of free writing and try to walk the city and come back and gather everything together at the end of the day. So that makes it a whole writing day, mm-hmm. including the wandering and the thinking, mm-hmm. but that doesn't happen generally. So what happens is I usually come back from work around 6 in the evening and then I'll play some music, uh, light some incense... Try to procrastinate, eat a lot of ice cream, and then I'll finally write some stuff. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Whatever works. <laughs> now, you do your writing specifically at home, it sounds like, mm-hmm. but uh, do you prefer, let's just call it creating, because you kind of explained you were doing that as you were walking around. Do you, so you probably have already answered the question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you prefer solitude and isolation as a place to create or are you also able to do that or only do that in uh, with sort of the energy and motion out in the world of things happening around you? Do you feed off that? <coughs> That's a really good question. Every time I'm out in the city, I feel like I need to be home alone, and every time I'm home alone, I feel like I need to be out in the city. <laughs> so I think it's that tension that makes things work sometimes. Cool. Yeah. But even when I'm walking around in the city and collecting speech and over conversations and things like that, I feel like I'm still alone. Like I'm very much mm-hmm. still in my own space. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a different kind of solitude. I can understand that totally. Yeah, I really can. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you're invisible. Yeah, yeah. There you go. It's very on brand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm invisible. I wonder if there's a publisher with that name. I'm going to check them out. <laughs> well, one of the things I have to count is, and I think people do it subconsciously, but I've been noticing that every book that Invisible's put out in the last little while, the authors are using the word invisible in the books. Whoa. Whoa. So I'm going to do a proper count on that <laughs> and see <laughs> so on what's brand. going on. Yeah. <laughs> Subliminal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, you talked about it a little bit, but is there anything else you want to tell us about the work you've already published? And you did mention a couple of awards. Since you've already done that, I will mention, too, that you were... A, you received, let's see, you were a finalist for the 2018 Alberta Magazine Awards. 
you were uh, you received the 2017 Robert Croach Award for Innovative Poetry, and was a finalist. Uh, maybe this is the one you mentioned. No, because you said that was new. Finalist for the 2016 National Magazine Awards. Yeah, I've been lucky. Yeah, well, no, I doubt if it's luck. Or you're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to pick one. Pick good. Yeah, exactly. I'm lucky, I'm lucky. Humble. She's humble. I'm just terrified. <laughs> We're still not holding hands, for the record. Yes, yes, yes. She's not that yeah, yeah, she's not that terrified. Uh, let's see. You kind of mentioned that you walk around sort of picking up, or you may, or you may do those even after your ice cream, <laughs> but you get ideas. Can you tell us about ways you do get ideas? Uh, I mean, maybe in a little more detail, I don't know. And then maybe how a poem evolves, how a poem first arrives, or the idea for a poem arrives, and then... It evolves. Mm -hmm. um, for the ones where I'm walking the city, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example because it'll make it easier for me to explain. Um, I, so I overheard us getting subway, and I overheard someone having a conversation about um, knowing somebody else who had crossed from Calais into the English Channel, across the English Channel, mm -hmm. to as a stowaway, and they kept repeating that story and every time they repeated it it was it was the same story but it was told in a different iteration so I could see her you know trauma and trying mm. to express what was happening mm. and so I tried to bring that pattern into one of the poems of the repetition and collecting the impressions quite quickly which is what she the way she had been speaking mm -hmm. about it so I try to stay true to the conditions that the poem is coming up in just the way the the emotions of it I try as much as I can to move out of the way of it sometimes. It's difficult, <laughs> but I try. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love that explanation. Yeah. I'm glad it made sense. <laughs> yeah, no, totally, totally. And is that a current poem, or is that one of the poems that's in the collection? Mm, that's how I wrote the whole first section. Oh, is, is it? Yeah. Oh, sweet. Mm -hmm. I was just mining people's overheard conversations and trying to stay true to the to the environment around me, which was around the port, uh, even though that one that I just talked about was at Subway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Subway on the port. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Sometimes the best ones come when you're not looking, right? Cause exactly. Yeah, because exactly. I went to get a sandwich. I was like, I'm so tired of walking around. <laughs> and there it was, just waiting for you. And it had to be at that, that exact moment, too, right? Or it wouldn't have happened. You wouldn't have run into that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. And uh, I got to ask it because I ask everybody. Some people think it's a silly question, but uh, I'm kind of amazed at always the answers I get. Do you think your poetry comes from your head or your heart? I'm not sure I even have any of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the first drafts come from my head but I try to move them mm -hmm. away from that. Oh, okay, yeah. sweet. Yeah. I really like that answer because usually it's the other way around. People say oh, it starts in the heart and then it goes to the head, so I really love that you've turned that around. <laughs> Very cool. They're still not holding hands, by the way. 
She made it through that one. Yeah, that was the hard one. Is that the uh, math question? That was the algebra. Yeah, that was the algebra question. That was the geometry leading yeah, to the translation. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we've kind of talked about it, and I already gave the title, and uh, Port of Being with Invisible Publishing, and the launch is coming up now at this point in less than two hours, so I should say the Kingston launch of the book, uh, because it's already out there. Uh, is there anything that you, why don't you tell us, let's just put it that way, tell us a little bit about the book. Um... That is very difficult to summarize. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, you talked about the first section. How many sections are in there? Right. There's five sections. Five sections? Mm -hmm. Cool. And a lot of them, I think the book has an arc to it. Oh, so cool. the first poems move from uh, kind of solitude that's within the city where I'm wandering around and collecting mm -hmm. snippets of speech. And then it moves more uh, deeply into a personal experience and some more intimate and lyric poems in the last section wow. called Port of Being. And those poems have to do with um, addiction, because I'm a recovered addict, and uh, they also have to do with surveillance mm. and migration. So, yeah. Wow, that sounds really, really wonderful. I'm really looking forward to the launch. Mm, thank you. Sure. I'm glad you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Wouldn't miss it. And uh, is there anything else you wanted to say about the book? Um, I'm really happy to be with Invisible and with Lee. Yeah. I'm very grateful that she took me on. It's been nothing but a pleasant experience. I wouldn't have been able to come to Ontario if it wasn't for Lee. And oh, that's so, too yeah. cool. Yeah. The press is doing such good <laughs> stuff. They're only expanding. You know, Lee just signed her first translation this this season. Right? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Be, we got good stuff coming up. Oh, that, Not I as can, good as I this book or the books that we're <laughs> launching tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Lee's taken a chance on some really innovative sort of experimental poetry, which is rare, I think. So I'm really happy. Ah, that sounds very exciting for the publishing house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. good times. Yeah, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Can I ask you a question about your book? Yeah. I'm just curious, because you submitted it for the Robert Crouch Award, so it won the Robert Crouch Award. Mm -hmm. Did it change a lot from the manuscript that you submitted? Yeah, um, the last section with the more personal poems, I was really reluctant to include them. Mm -hmm. And Wade Compton, who was the judge for the Coach Award, who's also my mentor at the mm. Writer's Studio, but I didn't get to work with him directly, but he's somebody that I mm -hmm. really admire. And so I told him, can I just ask you if you think this would be a good idea to include these poems? Because I feel really scared mm -hmm. and vulnerable. And he said, yes, they completely fit with the book. You know, it's all about mm -hmm. mediated experience and mm -hmm. this fear of vulnerability mm -hmm. and how we're walking through the city, just having things move through us. And so he encouraged me, and I really want to thank him for that. That is too cool. That is. Well, one last thing is there, uh, do you have like a website, blog space? How could people get in touch with you if they wanted to? Mm, I have a website. It's shaziahafizramji.wordpress.com. Okay. And I'm absolutely going to refuse to remove the WordPress and make it more professional just because I don't <laughs> see the point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it is a website with, like a, with a WordPress thing? It is. Okay, that's cool. I Whatever. just spend that extra $30 on ice cream every month. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> see, that's good math. <laughs> yeah, it is, that is. Well, I want to thank you very much. It's been a wonderful chatting with you for a few minutes. and Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, very cool.
and nice to have you along too. Thank you. Thanks for the coffee. It is very. Go good. ahead. You can say it out loud. Yeah. Solid plug for this coffee. <laughs> this <is> excellent. <laughs> Smooth coffee. Yeah. Oh, thanks so much. And you just heard uh, from the November 19th interviews done uh, with the authors uh, ahead of their launch that evening at Novel Idea Bookstore as part of Invisible Publishing's Kingston Fall launch, uh, mine with uh, Shazia Havis Ramji. And up next, here is mine with uh, Susanna M. Smith. Well, I'm very happy this morning to be here with Susanna Smith. How are you? I'm great, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And you're here in Kingston to launch your uh, novel, How the Blessed Live, with Invisible Publishing. Actually, that was my first novel, How the Blessed Live, oh, no. Books. Um, so I'm here to launch the Fairy Tale Museum. That's right. My that's novel. right. That's yes. right. Yes, but I didn't that's, read... a, that's a good plug for my first novel. That's exactly right. <laughs> Saves me a question I too. Planned. I was going to ask you that question <laughs> later on. Now, yeah, it's all good. So anyway, with the Fairy Tale Museum with Invisible Publishing, and I see it printed here now that that was your book with Coach House. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Okay. My mistake. No. No. No my worries. Apologies. No worries. Well, we're going to get to know you a little bit as a writer. How's that? Sounds good. Perfect. Uh, I might be going way back even to childhood. Seems like a lot of writers uh, can recognize something looking backwards, I think. Do you remember either general or specific things uh, that happened in your life that made you think, hey, someday I want to be a writer? Yeah, and, and you're right. It does go back to childhood for me as well. I, I grew up in a family where... Um, Books, reading, music, art were all very, just very important to our family life mm-hmm. and embedded into daily life. So um, I was really fortunate to have a mom who was, at, as well as being an amazing mom, she was a part-time librarian. So we basically lived in the library and it was our greatest excitement to go to the library and sign out as many books as possible. Yeah. So I was a book nerd from a very early age, and um, reading was pretty much my favorite pastime That's from the time I was very young. And I remember um, I always loved school, but I didn't really look forward to summertime because there wasn't enough structure for me because I like <laughs> structure. But um, the one thing that was great about summer was uh, there was always a, a reading contest with the library to see you know, who could read the most books over the summer. So that was my project for the summer that kept me sane, was just focusing my time through, just cruising through as many books as I could. So, you know, I think having that that kind of growing up with just that love of literature, really, mm-hmm. and, and appreciation for, for language. I was read poetry, and I read poetry as a kid. Mm-hmm. So I think that informed, you know, how I formed my language skills and... and um, and just, I started to keep a journal, I guess, was the real beginning. When I was probably about 10 or 11, I started writing in a journal. And mm-hmm. it just became this place to capture a lot of things for me, including drawings. And um, so I think that was probably the beginning of it all back then. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. And... Uh did you win in the summer? I may have won a contest or two. Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, the prize was a book. So yeah. Oh, there you go. What's yes. a better what, what a better prize for someone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds wonderful. Uh, can you uh, tell us uh, when uh, it became 
when writing became serious for you, uh, your first writings, perhaps, perhaps even your first efforts at publishing it. Uh, tell us about how that all happened. Yeah, I can also sort of pinpoint that. Um, when I was in doing my undergraduate degree, I was doing English literature, and um, I think it might have been third year when I decided I wanted to try my hand at a creative writing course. I was kind of scribbling stuff on the side myself, um, you know, and sharing it with a handful of friends. Mm-hmm. And but but I think taking my first creative writing course, it was at the University of Calgary, and Aretha Van Herc was the instructor there at the time, and. She was a great person to have as my first creative writing Sweet. instructor. She was such a sort of tough love um, mentor and just really didn't let you get away with anything. And <laughs> so, and, and just had really great formal sensibilities and um, kind of a nice, tight, clean, minimalist way of looking at language and storytelling. And so I think I learned a lot from her. Um, so it really started to feel like that was the time where I started thinking, oh, you know, maybe maybe this is what I am, or, and I and I also started sending out smaller pieces at that time and and getting things published here and there. So that all helped move move that forward. So I would say probably I guess I was in my very early twenties then when when it all started seeming a little more like wrapped up in my identity. That's so, cool. Yeah. That, yeah, that's wonderful. Thanks for the answer. Mm. Can you, I mean, this goes way back because you've been reading forever, essentially, but uh, who were you reading maybe earlier in life and then at that time when you first began getting serious about writing? Can you list authors that might have influenced or inspired you in any of those periods it might, you may have carried some of them through I don't know mm-hmm. or a lot of people just ask uh, prefer that I ask who you're reading now I can probably answer a little bit of all those questions <laughs> I mean like I said I, I did read a lot of poetry as a kid mm-hmm. um, one of the books I remember <clears throat> sort of loving to have in bed with me at night when I was trying to go to sleep was Robert Louis Stevenson's okay, cool. Garden of Verses. It just was one of those sort of archetypal kids' poetry mm-hmm. books, and it was somehow really comforting as a kid mm-hmm. to read that book um, and go to these imaginary places with him. Um, there was also a, a, a children's anthology. Um, I can't even remember the name of it now, but it, it had a whole bunch of poems by many well-respected poets in there with beautiful illustrations and for me as a writer I think my love of um, hybrid texts and and texts that include imagery probably does go back to my childhood because I find that that dialogue between text and image to be just really a lovely thing and, and it's something that's in the fairy tale museum mm-hmm. um, and just really Ignites my imagination as a writer and a reader and and a visual person. Mm-hmm. Um, in my twenties, of course, I was reading a lot of the canon in university. Um, I remember, uh, well, fortunately or unfortunately, I guess I was influenced a bit at one point by Sylvia Plath and that mm-hmm. kind of you know a little bit doom and gloom, uh, but beautiful mm-hmm. school of poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I really was uh, influenced by Marguerite Duras in probably my 20s as well. Um, I forget how I got into her, but um, what I and, I... and I read her in English, but um, what I really 
loved and still probably do love about her. It's just, she's just a great stylist. Mm -hmm. And um, capturing these narratives and, and kind of almost vignettes and these really brief and elliptical um, kind of paragraphs that she can, uses to construct her novels. And um, I found that style pretty fascinating, and I think it had a, has had an influence, had an influence on how the blessed live, and I, I think probably is just embedded into my stylistic approach to writing prose. Um, and these days, I think with the Fairy Tale Museum, my influences were much more diverse um, and range, you know, not only in terms of my my writing um, background, but just artistically like film and um, and you know artistic movements like surrealism and those kinds of influences kind of really figured into the fairy tale museum as well so it, it I think I cast a bit of a wider net with mm. this most recent book mm. cool now wasn't one of the questions that I had lined up but just you're talking about it and uh, you reference poetry so much in your influences and uh, in poetry and poets. I was just curious. This is obviously a book of fiction, right? Mm -hmm. uh, do you write poetry as well? Um, one of the things people have been sort of noting or asking me about so far with the Fairy Tale Museum is that question because um, there are some actual poems or shorter poetic pieces in the book and. Um, I don't set out to write poetry. Mm -hmm. I consider the way I write, I feel like I'm always telling some kind of story, mm -hmm. but I do think that the ability of poetry to, to kind of capture something, um, and sometimes it's explicit, but lots of times what I love about it is that it, there's just a mystery that's there, and, mm -hmm. and it's something that's kind of intangible, and you get a sense of it, but you can't quite put it into words, and mm -hmm. I love that sort of feeling of it that's um, evanescent sort of just like mm -hmm. you're, you're almost being able to catch it but not quite it's mm -hmm. it's this kind of lovely ephemeral um, sense of of something mysterious so I think I write prose poetically <laughs> that's cool no that's beautiful something like that yeah no I, and just from what you've told me I could understand how that could happen too because you had all of these poetic influences, poets and poetry, as you were growing up reading and finding your own voice, I guess. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I could understand that. I like the brevity of it, too, and just mm -hmm. the um, ability of a few words to evoke something, mm -hmm. I, and the gesture of that. Mm -hmm. It's just, I'm not good at reading really long books, and so I probably will never write a really long book, <laughs> unless it's made up of very, very small bits, which is a possibility, yeah, so yeah, never okay. say never, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Who knows? That might be the next <laughs> thing. true, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a uh, specific writing practice or routine? This is this is, has evolved for me quite recently in a different direction. Um for for several years, I I now realize that I constructed my life in a way that so that I would ha have a lot of time for writing. So mm -hmm. I would have, you know, a part time something, whether it was job or school, and then time so that I could devote mm -hmm. to my writing practice. And for many years, that was sort of how I lived my life, which is great because it it allowed me to really sort of become grounded in in having my creative practice, which does encompass writing, but also there's a visual art side to it as well, which 
I think it's secondary to the writing, but also an important influence and, and practice for me. And um, recently I've, I've started a fairly demanding full-time job, so I'm fitting my creative practice around the edges of, of that work. And I feel now that it's, I really appreciate the fact that I have those years mm-hmm. to... Um, uh, you know, really carve that out for myself. The importance of having that creative practice and how to how to kind of keep it sustained um, around the edges of a busy life with a lot of other things. It's um, I feel like it's still ongoing, just in a different way. So now I have a I have a writing studio, like a room in my house that mm-hmm. I can close the door to, go inside, and you know, just kind of get into my imaginative world, which is, for me, it goes back to that Virginia Woolf room of one's own thing. I will always need that in my life. Mm. I feel like it's essential for me as a writer and as a woman and as, you know, like, I don't want to think about domestic anything when mm. I'm <laughs> when I'm in my imagination. And I find that I really just have to forget about it all um, to just be free to, to wander off in my mind. So... Um, so I feel really fortunate to have that physical space as well that kind of is always there for me whenever I have, even if it's only, you know, 20 minutes at the end of a work day and I mm-hmm. go in and I can engage with a book or um, just even open my notebook. And even if I even if I jot down, you know, a few lines, mm-hmm. I'm still sustained in the, in the process of a narrative or whatever I'm working on. And there's always something I'm working on, so I feel like... I don't feel like there's ever a time when there's not a project that's kind of engaging me, so that, that helps too. Cool. Yeah. And I think you took away my next question because <laughs> I was going to ask if you preferred to write in public and feed off of the motion and things like that and the energy of being in public, but it sounds like you prefer the isolation of being there. Or is there any part of your creative process that might be involved in that outside environment? There's definitely a part of the outside environment that, that comes into it for me for sure. I'm a mm-hmm. huge walker, and yeah. I find... Walking around the city, um, you know, being around people in that kind of sort of detached flanner mm-hmm, way mm-hmm. to be a really rich source of inspiration and just kind of, you know, observing the world as I mm-hmm. move through it. And I find things are constantly popping up to inspire me. And, and you know, I'll often when I'm out walking, whip my notebook out of my bag and write some stuff down because um, I've learned that you just have to catch it exactly. <laughs> when it's there. Yeah. Um, and funnily enough, like sometimes um, I also have a meditative practice, and when I meditate or I sit down to meditate, sometimes I feel like uh, little bits of stories will mm-hmm. come in, and I feel I say to myself, "I'm going to remember this for sure when I'm out of meditation," mm-hmm. and often I don't. So <laughs> it's, I'm going to have to learn how to catch those guys because I can't. I, 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 maybe I just need my notebook when I meditate. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the next, yeah. the next step, the lead into the next step exactly. in the meditation process. Well, and then in terms of like just the external world too, I find like people are always inspiring me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll be in a conversation with someone or you know they'll mention something or or we'll be talking about you know for instance in the fairy tale museum there's a concrete example um my partner's son we for some reason i don't know why we were talking about squirrels and hmm. and we were just talking about i 
I can't even remember why, but just the way their little paws go. Uh-huh. And, and um, we talked about squirrels fighting, and they had these little dukes. And um, so there's a piece in the book called SBC, which is the Squirrels Boxing Club, which <laughs> rose out of that conversation. And I almost think of it as like a little present to Oliver that, you know, he somehow out of that conversation came this inspiration for a club where squirrels box each other and so you never know where things are going to come from but then I find taking those little sparks of inspiration it is ultimately like the real alchemy happens when the door is closed and Mm -hmm. I can sort of block out the world and go go through all of the little bits and pieces I've collected and bring them together so yeah that makes sense yeah Yeah. cool and it's some people think it's kind of a silly question but I ask it to everybody uh, or ask it of everybody do you think your writing comes from your head or your heart I like to think they're indelibly connected Mm. (laughs) Um, I I, I do I really believe in sort of a a holistic um, process when it comes to being creative and sort of being open to that inspiration and I like to think they they talk back and forth all the time and there's a circuit there that's open um, so so yeah I mean I I love the intellectual stimulation of different ideas and mm-hmm. and how one thing leads to another and that leads you over here and you didn't realize that that even existed and then this leads you over here and it's this wonderful kind of intellectual game almost of mm-hmm. following the dots and seeing where the inspiration leads and then I just remember when I was writing the fairy tale museum I had to sort of realign before I wrote that book to to really be in a good place with writing because I think at one point I sort of felt like you know who am I writing for here and and this this is something I've chosen to do with my life and if I'm not ultimately in love with doing this practice there is no point in doing mm-hmm. it so I, I had to really think okay like this has to be an act of joy for me when I do it so it, with that in mind I feel like that was very much my heart leading the show and saying you know uh, there's no point in dedicating your life to an art uh, I don't um, buy into the whole stereotypical suffering artist uh, starving mm-hmm. artist uh, miserable artist kind of stereotype that I think has been you know around for a while and and um, I just think that's a really unfortunate way to live a life and mm-hmm. I understand circumstances are different for everyone and and um, and all of that uh, but I, for me personally I feel like it's really important to make choices around my own happiness and so mm-hmm. I decided that I want to be a happy writer and I think that's a heart decision and mm-hmm. now my head and my heart are joined in that enterprise so that sounds wonderful <laughs> thank you for that and uh, see if I can get their quote here just going to give you a chance to talk a bit about the book. Yeah, I'll use their lines. I believe these are the publisher's lines. Invisible Publishing says uh, the fairy tale museum is an alchemical curiosity cabinet as novel that showcases the original, spectacular, grotesque, endearing, and otherworldly. And uh, why don't you tell us? Your ideas about mm-hmm. what the book is and the book itself. I think that I feel that's a very good sort of encapsulation of the book. Um, it is structured as this kind of uh, almost like an architectural space that, as a reader, 
you can enter into through different doorways and mm-hmm. um, move around in a way that works for you. You can also go in the front door and leave through the back door and have a linear uh, journey through as most novels work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think and hope that it will work in different ways for different people and have that kind of um, flexibility in terms of narrative um, structure. Um, I sorry, just just refocusing my train of thought here. The whole curiosity cabinet um, metaphor kind of evolved as the book was, you know, moving forward in time. Mm-hmm. And it initially started out as a collection of short fiction. There was a carnival theme that was strong at the beginning. Um, the there's kind of a metaphysical. Um, some some characters in it who have me- metaphysical talents that kind of came from my first book, How the Blessed Live. They because there's a, a thing in there called the Holy Circus, which features people with special spiritual abilities and um, who don't quite fit in <laughs> to society. Uh, hey. And so some of those characters fell out and started. That was the original impetus for the Fairy Tale Museum, and then that evolved into this kind of carnivalesque thing, and and just kind of snowballed from there into. Um, the idea of, uh, you know, a unique collection. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's about many things, and um, that structure is just kind of like the organizing structure and a starting point for various themes that, you know, are possible to connect to as a reader in the book. Sounds very enticing. <laughs> I look forward to hearing the part of it this evening. Yeah, I look so. forward to reading it. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be fun. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to say, or? Um, just one thing. Um, it was interesting writing this book because I, and I think I've mentioned this in a, an uh, online interview I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was for Open Book Toronto, where I, the book, um, I feel like I've, I've written a book that I wanted to have in the world that wasn't in the world before I wrote it. And I think a lot of writers, you know, talk about this, that, if there's a book that's not out there, mm-hmm. y- you got to write it. Yeah, no. <laughs> so um, in that sense, I feel really happy with making something that I missed. Like I felt like mm-hmm. I would go into a bookstore and I'd be sort of looking around and, you know, where's the book? And, and, and this, for now anyway, is the book. So um, as much as I can be, I'm really happy that it's in the world. <laughs> No, we will be too. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thanks. So and much. do you have uh, do you have a website, blog space, anything like that that you'd like to share? So um, people can find me on Instagram. It's okay. Susanna underscore M underscore Smith. And for now, that's kind of where I'm documenting my creative practice. See? I have a really um, lame website that I need to update, mm-hmm. which basically just redirects people to my Instagram. So for now, that's where they can find me. And, and anybody wanting to reach out can, can reach out to me through Instagram. So Sounds perfect. Yeah. So if they didn't get the Instagram address, they can go to your website and it'll be there. Exactly. <laughs> just Google Susanna M. Smith and, you know, it should pop up. Perfect. Yes. Thank you so much for this. I look forward to this evening. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much. Thanks. And you just heard from uh, the November 19th interviews done with the authors launching ahead of their event at Novel Idea that evening and as part of Invisible Publishing's Kingston Fall launch. uh, Susanna M. uh, Smith um, with me and then up Next, the final one, uh, will be H.B. 
Hogan. I'm sitting here with Heather Hogan, and who goes by H.B. Hogan as a pen name, is that right? Yes, sir. And how are you this morning? Great, thank you. How about you? Cool. I'm good, thanks. Good. I'm looking forward to your lunch this evening. Thank you. Uh, you will be launching This Keeps Happening, published by Invisible Publishing. Mm-hmm. So, excited? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Sweet. Well, I'm going to do what I usually do in interviews and just go and just talk about you as a writer, and we'll just discuss the book at the very end. Or okay. I'll let you talk about the book at the very end. How's okay. that? Cool? Sure. Cool. I'll come up with something to say by the end. Okay, cool. I'll work <laughs> on that. <laughs> Okay, perhaps uh, going way back, even childhood, do you remember either specific or general things that happened in your life that made you think one day, hey, I want to be a writer? Yeah, Um, I don't think I ever thought I want to be a writer. I didn't really think that that was an option, and I didn't know who writers were or how to do it or anything. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, after this book came out, I, I was looking for, I think, a chapbook or something and uh, related to writing, and I found old uh, workbooks from, I think, grade one and two. Really? Yeah, that I had kept. And it's, it, I mean, they're very cute, but uh, <laughs> also very ridiculous. But obviously this thing, this impulse was there because I was writing these really ridiculous, fantastic, almost sort of slapstick but sci-fi, but horror stories um, at that young age. So obviously this has been around for a while. I haven't always been paying attention to it. Yeah. And I don't know where that came from, because I was pretty young. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, uh, I don't know what started it, but it's been, it's been there all along. And that- then um, I, I always loved reading. Um, and for most of my young childhood like uh-huh. up until high school I uh, you know any family get together I was always in the corner with my face in a book because that was right? easier than than talking to people uh, so yeah um, I, yeah yeah <laughs> I can relate to that and I can understand yeah and it's funny too a lot of people answer the question in a somewhat the same way yeah, yeah. it started when I was really really young yeah some of them remember how it started, but some of them that it's cool that you found that. Yeah, those yeah. old writings that yeah. is too sweet. I'd forgotten about that, so it was. Uh, it's funny that I kept them. It's funny that some part of me thought to keep them all this time and stash them away. Mm-hmm. It was a nice surprise. Cool. Well, you probably don't remember that far back, and uh, because you kind of forgotten that mm-hmm. you had written that for a number of years, mm-hmm. and. Uh, when you began to start writing, I'm guessing that was at some point later, uh, yeah. whether that was, did you, uh, were there any authors, and you said you did read a lot, yeah, were there any authors you think, looking back now, mm-hmm. that influenced you or inspired you to finally pick up the pen yourself? Yes. Um uh, when I was probably grade five, six, seven, um, I my grandmother was feeding me Bachman books. Um, oh, really? Yeah, uh, and I really liked them a lot. And then, you know, found out that that was Stephen King and started reading him uh, when I was young. And you know, aside from the fantastic 
uh, plots, I, I, I was conscious at that age of how he was telling a story. Uh, and so that got me paying attention and thinking about how to tell stories. Um, uh, and I don't think I took it seriously at the time. Um, in high school, I had teachers say, I, you should probably be taking this seriously. Yeah, that's cool. <clears throat> I thought they were just being nice. So, again, <laughs> I didn't take it seriously. Um, and then I started reading, um, not, not in a disciplined way, just sort of going to the Toronto Public Library and just picking random books. Like, that was Sweet. my every Saturday morning thing wow. uh, for years. And... I didn't have other people who were really into books in the same way, so I was just sort of reading by myself and having mm -hmm. my mind blown by things. And this was would have been before internet, so it's not like I could Google these people and find out that they were actually these really amazing, well-known writers. Uh -huh. I remember the first time, very young, reading uh, J.D. Salinger and thinking, oh my God, does anybody else know about this guy? <laughs> who is this guy? Whoa! <laughs> uh, so that was a big moment. Um, and then that was also the short story thing. Like, I, I read Catcher in the Rye and then found out that he had done these short stories, and I really liked those short stories. And Bachman Books, that mm. was short stories. Okay, cool. And then, uh, you know, early university, again, I didn't really know anybody, so it's not like I was talking about literature seriously. I was just reading in my room and but I remember Shirley Jackson's The Lottery that was mind-blowing and exciting so you can really write about these really unusual weird mm -hmm. things in a short story and I, I just always liked short stories so then I thought okay well now I'm going to go to the library and I'm just going to focus on short mm -hmm. stories and um, and that was a lot of fun like discovering what I liked and why I liked and what I didn't like and trying to figure out why I didn't like it um, I remember um, Barbara Gowdy, um, We So Seldom Look on Love. I don't know if you've read that. I have not. Oh, it's a trip. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> it was a great short story. And um, what else? I, uh, more recently, when I started, when I was practicing writing short stories, there, I came across a collection of short stories by. Um, uh, well, I think uh, Zadie Smith writes the introduction. I don't know if she curated them or not, but that's how I found out about A.L. Kennedy and Tobias Wolfe. And uh, I didn't know who David Foster Wallace was, I'm sorry to say, but he had a short story in there that was incredible. And they were doing, uh, you know, really different subject matter and writing them in really different ways, which was exciting and it definitely had an impact. Uh, I, I can tell in this short story collection that I've got, I can I know the ones that I wrote after reading them versus wow. before reading okay, them. Wow, okay, cool. So, yeah, that is cool. So definite influence for sure. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that is too cool. Yeah. Do you have a writing, a specific general writing routine or practice? I did. Uh, when I, so these these stories I wrote in the early 2000s, sort of between 2001 and 2008 is when I set the writing life aside to try and mm -hmm. figure out how to make a living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, uh, I, I lived alone. I had uh, an apartment that wasn't much to look at, but it had an incredible view of Toronto mm -hmm. and lots of sky. Mm -hmm. And I had one chair. <laughs> 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 it's 
So, (laughs) you know, I I would get up in the morning, I would sit in that chair, and I would write and read, and I would do it for days on end. And if it was a long weekend, like, all the better. That's Uh three whole days where I don't have to leave the apartment, and it was literally just writing and reading all day, every day. And and walking to work. You and I were talking about that earlier. Um, So writing and thinking, and then walking Mm -hmm. to work and ruminating about you know, a sentence or a plot point, um, and that was the practice. That was my practice. Sweet. Yeah. Notebooks, not no laptop. That's me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Pen on the page. Yeah. Yes. And uh, do you? You've sort of talked about it because you talked about your prior writing practice, but mm-hmm. you've also kind of talked about walking, which is also another wonderful place yeah. to get ideas. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to the specific writing, though, now, mm-hmm. do you prefer seclusion and isolation, or do you like prefer writing? Some people feed off the motion and energy in a public space, mm-hmm. or it can it be either? I for me, it's both. Yeah. I I love listening <laughs> to other people's <laughs> conversations. That's a lot of uh, inspiration for stories, uh, things I overhear. Um, so I do feed off that energy, um, but uh, you know that costs money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I can't be out in cafes all the time as much as I love the idea of yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the less distraction, the better. So if I'm at home doing it, um, I prefer isolation. But I can, you can isolate yourself with, um, you know, headphones. Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very cool. And uh, other than the book coming out uh, this evening, mm-hmm. well, it's already out, but <laughs> launching here in Kingston this evening, uh, where else have you been published? Um, some of the, well, yeah, some of these stories have been published in magazines, so Tattle Creek, mm-hmm. um, Anvil. Um, I've got a, a chat book from Proper Tales Press, our friend Stuart Ross. Yes. Um, and this magazine, I think that, yeah, that was my first, the first time being published was in this magazine. That was sweet. Yeah, was but great. that was wonderful. It was really right? exciting. Yeah. That was amazing. I think that was 2004. Uh, I remember thinking, man, it's really happening now. Money's going to start rolling in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, we know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm going to ask what some people think is kind of a silly question, but ask everybody. Sure. Do you feel like your writing comes from your head or your heart? Mm. Um, mm, I think equal parts. That would start with the... Well, no, that's not true. There's got to be equal parts because you can you can hear something and know that it's good intellectually and know intellectually how to map it out and turn it into a story. Mm-hmm. But it has to be infused with something other than your deep and amazing thought. <laughs> yeah, like there's yeah. got to be some other quality, for me anyway, some other quality to the writing or else it just doesn't hold my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the amazing thing 
about reading and writing is you realize that there really is so many different approaches, so many styles. Um, you figure out what you like and what you don't like. What I like is not liked by everybody, vice versa. I, For me, it's got to be both. It can't just be someone thinking of an amazing idea and... Uh, I don't know, mathemat I don't know how, but calculatingly mm -hmm. turning that into a story, that's got to be something else. Sweet, sweet. Yeah. Well, uh, one last question, I guess, is uh, we'll talk briefly about the book. Uh, your book has been described as, well, your book, This Keeps Happening, mm -hmm. has been described uh, by your publisher, I believe, as uh, there are a number of different stories in yeah. it that they kind of, and I'm going to leave that, keep that okay. secret so people will buy the book. <laughs> but it's uh, one part of what they say is the stories in H.P. Hogan's debut collection sizzle like butter on hot cast iron. They're rich and dark and full of scrappy, sordid, and sparkling humanity. And then a quote from Michelle Winters, who launched here with them, I think, a couple of years ago mm -hmm. now, a year and a half anyway. H.P. Mm -hmm. uh, and these are her words, her quote, H.P. Hogan's stories are dirty, fresh, and brutally funny, lingering on little human details until they're just uncomfortable enough, then pushing a little farther. The wickedness will stay with you for days. So why don't you tell us a bit about the book? <laughs> I can't, I can't top their descriptions. They're two amazing descriptions. Michelle and I uh, both thought butter sizzling in a skillet was <laughs> incredible. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I thought I laughed a lot writing many of these. That's stories. wonderful. And they're not, you know, they're not for everybody. They are pretty dark. They are uncomfortable, um, but always. Well, almost always, uh, with the intent of being wickedly funny or wickedly surprising. And um, we were at a reading in Ottawa, uh, not last night, but the night before, and I was talking to someone there who, who said it's not every day that she gasps and laughs at the same time <laughs> while reading a short story, and that... That is how it felt when I was writing them. When, oh. some, when some of these ideas came to me, I thought, oh, my God, am I really going to write this? <laughs> the answer is yes. Very good. Well, <laughs> we're all glad that you did. Thank you. Thanks. And did you have a website or a blog uh, space or a Facebook, whatever, any Twitter? I don't Would you do believe that I don't, ha I don't have Facebook? I don't have Twitter. I don't exist. I don't Instagram. But I do have a, a web page, hbhogan.com. Perfect, and that's H dot B dot Hogan. No, you know when I picked H B Hogan, I didn't think about all of the consequences of that. Do you put periods between yeah, them or yeah, not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can people say your name or not? Yeah, uh, yeah. The website is without periods. H B Hogan dot com. Wonderful. Good for you. I'm glad you broke that. That's right. <laughs> yes, <I'm>, yes. <laughs> periods are overrated. Rebel. <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank, Thank you, you so much, and Thanks I look for forward. Me. Oh, for sure. I look forward to the launch here in just a few. Hours Me now. too. Me cool. too. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you. And you just heard my uh, in interview with H.B. Hogan again as part of uh, the Invisible Publishing Kingston launch that happened later that evening. Tell you what, I really need to get these in here, and then I'll come back uh, right after the top of the hour. 
And welcome back. Now into the second hour of today's show. Uh, and it's just only about a minute or two, I guess, not even uh, past 5 o'clock. And you're listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce. Here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6. We do stream live online as well at www. Dot CFRC dot CA. I just wanted to mention, but there wasn't time to do it. Uh, uh, the three interviews you heard in the uh, first hour, and uh, those were done again before they launched their books. But the thing that I usually mention, I didn't get a chance to mention, is that just sort of a heads up uh, uh, that each hour of this show every week uh, and today's as well, will be uploaded to my blog space for it shortly after I get home at Finding a Voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. And we'll remain there for four years. And uh, so let's officially uh, jump back into uh, this hour of the show. We're going to move from those... Uh, well, I think, I can't remember. I think I started those maybe very late morning or, yeah, uh, and then finished up really just ahead of the launch, the interviews. So uh, coming up in this hour uh, and continuing, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? In the same order as uh, you heard interviews the first hour, because that's how they uh, how they were in the reading that evening, and uh, again following the afternoon interviews, uh, what you're going to hear this hour uh, from the launch then at Novel Idea Bookstore that evening again, in case you just tuned in, uh, featuring Kingston Fall. Uh, there are Kingston Fall launch of books by Invisible Publishing, and that was emceed by Lee Nash, uh, the publisher. And you'll hear in this order uh, Shazia uh, reading from her collection of poetry uh, called Port of Bean. Uh, Susanna reading from her described, and she used the term, and the publishers used the term, a curiosity cabinet uh, as novel. Uh, uh, called a Fairy Tale Museum, and H.B. Hogan reading from her short story collection called This Keeps Happening. I should, though, do uh, the just the usual hourly announcement. Occasionally, some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. And uh, I believe, yeah, that's going to take us. What I'm going to do, uh, we're going to be a little shy of uh, filling up this hour, but uh, there are a number of events starting to, and calls for submissions as well, uh, starting to appear after that uh, late November, December, and even early January lull uh, when uh, just nothing really gets booked uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, and so, but we're starting to move into some of that now. So I'm, I've purposely allowed uh, a fair chunk of time at the end of this hour to try to get through at least a portion of those, or at least the ones that are most upcoming. Uh, and uh, let's go ahead. You know what? Uh, I will do that after this. So we're going to move now into uh, the 
Invisible, this was again that novel idea on November 19th. Uh, move into the reading aspect with those three authors you heard uh, in the first hour and uh, MC'd uh, by Lee Nash. Up first, again, here is uh, Shazia Hafiz Ramji uh, launching her collection of poetry called Port of Bean. All right. <laughs> Attention. <laughs> what an attentive audience. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> um, but seriously, thank you so much for coming out to hear um, three very excellent invisible authors read from their new books, their 2018 books, 2018 titles. It's our 2018 tour. Um, and we're really excited to be here um, in Kingston. And big thanks to Novel Idea for having us. We love Novel Idea. They are excellent. So make sure you browse these lovely shelves. There's a lot of um, supplemental marketing happening right now in this little yeah. book tunnel we're in. It's good. Um, so we're going to start the readings this evening with some poetry. Really ease you guys in. Um, so our first reader of the evening is Shazia Hafiz Ramji, uh, who was a finalist for the 2018 Alberta Magazine Awards, received the 2017 Robert Croach Award for Innovative Poetry, and was a finalist for the 2016 National Magazine Awards. Her writing has appeared in Quill Inquire, Canadian Literature, The Puritan, and Metatron's Alpha and Omega. She lives in Vancouver, where she works as an editor and teaches creative writing. Please welcome Shazia. Do you want to come inside? No, I have to keep an eye on the recorder. So. Oh, <laughs> and be as invisible as I <laughs> Bruce gets a discount. <laughs> he also gave me this really nice rock because I liked it when we first did an interview at his house just a few hours ago, and it's just it's so nice. Oh. I was feeling tired, and then since he gave me the rock, I'm just like, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to win the gala tonight. <laughs> it, had, it had nothing to do with the coffee. <laughs> the excellent coffee. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for coming here tonight and for Novel Idea for hosting us. This is such a treat, and it's so intimate and cozy and fun. And I'm just going to depress everyone by reading some poems. <laughs> Welcome. Um, this first poem is called Secret Playground. And it is dedicated to everyone who's helped me through my recovery from an addiction from drugs. And it's specifically for the people whom I didn't get to know uh, throughout my recovery process. And sometimes, you know, when you're sleeping at night and you keep mm -hmm. thinking about the people who helped you who you didn't whose names you don't remember, mm -hmm. so... Yeah. Secret Playground. I didn't tell you of the hands that led the internet cable into the sea, that they were brown or that I was thinking of rows of royal blue binders in a hospital in Afghanistan, records of amputations from drone strikes. I saw this on TV, as in my laptop, torrents, Netflix, it doesn't make sense to ask if words will ever stop failing me, but I want to ask it. What does it take for a three-year-old who lived on M&Ms and barely escaped the Gulf War to call the first part of her life simulacra? I didn't tell you because I still don't believe it. 
In Toronto, I write a poem about another part of my life, one I still find hard to believe when I'm not with myself. A stranger asked me afterwards, are you really clean though? I was, I hadn't done any drugs. I couldn't believe his guts, but I did because I smiled and nodded as if I'd just signed him a check. Then I cut my phone with both hands and bowed my head as if to say, someone's calling me and I have to go, as if in fear, as if in thanks. Sometimes the people who terrify you are also the people you're grateful for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I want to read a poem for David Foster Wallace and Karen Green. And it's called See You Tomorrow. Tomorrow you'll find me when you sign on. You'll send me a DM, ask me to drop you a pin. I'll say, hey, I'm here. As if here is enough. As if here is still now. You'll ask me if I'm lost, and I'll remember how far away you are from me. But I've messaged you once more to say, I saw the latest version of a human-sized bot. That it walked with a limp, and I felt sad and sorry for it. This is what she meant when she saw him hanging from the ceiling and wanted to place a chair beneath him so that his knees don't hurt when he falls. Um, I'll read this poem that I wrote on the bus and that's called Beelinus Pile. It's less depressing than the last one. (laughs) (laughs) A silver flake from the surveillance cam above me fell into my lap on the bus. It was not made of light, but I don't know where it disappeared. In my glimpse of his pile, I saw the necessity of doubling. So I waited to see myself and all the people who departed. But they stepped off too fast, or I was just tired. Wet lights on the window slunking to each other, like a taboo on fingers stringing a rosary. The guy next to me was editing a photo of his girlfriend. It was backlit, and we could see the sleep in her hair. He saw me looking and smiled. I was banking on memories of love to respond, but I was a body with insides, a red ginger, stuck on the bus with a stranger who had seen someone, I mean really seen her. I began to look at those who were arriving. I smiled at a few. One of them sat down, expectant, like a statue in the rain. On Broadway, I found others looking at a drone overhead. I'll read this one for my parents. Parents' poem. (laughs) (laughs) Poetry's so cryptic sometimes. I've organized my desktop and done my work for today. I have no obligation to be anywhere. I eat a Milky Way in my bed, listen to Shade, and wait for the foghorns at 3 a.m. I'm happy and alone. Why do I want to see the world like parents who look at any kid and see their own, making faces to usher the forgetting of pain? It's not that I want to be a parent. When I go to another city, I lie to my company and visit a mall to look at people 
who live in that place, who choose to meet there. It makes me small, sad, and comforted, like waiting in line for my parents at Walmart on a Sunday. As they finish whatever it is they do, when I look for a new gadget or pillow, and I roll my eyes, half playing the part of the pissed off kid, as they buy me chocolate and bubbles, <laughs> even though I'm almost half their age, and they've just finished complaining about money. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and this last one is one that I wrote for my friends who left Vancouver because it's super expensive to live there, which is why I'm considering moving to Ontario, which is not any better situation. <laughs> <laughs> We're giving her the hard sell this week. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping I can just stay at Lee's house forever. <laughs> <laughs> this one's called Astronaut Family. <laughs> Growth and development sounds like something my mom used to worry about when I was little. Now I say it when applying for grants. Before that, one of my favorite dead people told me that it begins with language. Since then, I found lots of dead friends saying the same thing in different ways. It was once my mom's, then mine, then mine through the words of others, and other words of the condos on Hastings Street, Escala Luxury Homes in Burnaby, this is the quality of dust. It filters through us, because we're made of it. The language, I mean. My friends know it too when they land in LA, Montreal, New York. No wonder we bought New Balance before parting ways, making excuses for the comfort worn by our grandparents. This is the quality of dust. It takes us dancing into houses and galleries until six in the morning. It keeps us here this expensively repressed sympathy in sneakers and secret locations that separate us. Like when I message you on Facebook and it's three in the morning, but seven for you, but you gotta go cause you're writing a condo ad for work, even in Brooklyn and Toronto. Even though it started here, we began to love each other. And I think that we still do cause we come back every summer and the smiles come increasingly quick, which is not to say that we're eager to meet or that this is a sudden light of friendship. But more than this, this is the construction of an act of love. Mm -hmm. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, Shazia. That was lovely. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> and you just heard from Invisible Publisher, the Invisible Publishing Fall Kingston launch at Novel Idea on November 19th and uh, emceed by uh, the publisher of uh, Invisible Publishing, Lee Nash, uh, Shazia Hafiz Ramji, uh, launching her collection of poetry, again called Port of Being. Up next in it, here is Susanna M. Smith uh, launching her book, described again as Curiosity Cabinet as Novel Collection, uh, called uh, Fairy Tale Museum. Um, and our second reader is Susanna M. Smith, also here from Vancouver. <laughs> so we're bringing them long distance. <laughs> um, and she'll be reading from the Fairy Tale Museum, which is a beautiful novel um, that you can read straight up as a novel, but is also a cabinet of curiosities. 
<laughs> in book form, which means it's very, very fun to read. Um, so Susanna M. Smith is the author of the novel How the Blessed Live and of the Fairy Tale Museum. Her short fiction, nonfiction, artwork, and poetry have appeared in various publications. Please welcome Susanna. everybody. Mm -hmm. It's nice to see old friends and new friends and a little intimate crowd in this cozy place. Thank you, Novel Idea, for hosting this event. Um, I'm really happy to be here sharing this book with you. Um, I know some of you have read it, and um, I don't know, are we having a Q&A at the end? We can. Yes. Um, Why not? Uh, yes. Yeah? Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I won't say too much about it as a preface right now. Um, I'll just I'll just start in, and if anybody wants to talk or have has questions at the end, I'm happy to to entertain <laughs> questions. Um, I'll read a sort of scattering to try to give you a good sense of different parts of the book, and start with the beginning. Um, a quote by a Canadian writer named Leah Hager Cohen. A book can be almost anything. It can be a piece of paper you pleat like a fan with a single word written on every page. It can be an out-of-date guidebook salvaged from the trash, remade by pasting into it images and passages snipped from old magazines. It can be a stack of lottery tickets and theater tickets and numbered tickets from the meat counter at the store, hole-punched and gathered on a key ring. It can be three autumn leaves tied together with a piece of blue thread. Hmm. <coughs> if I were reading this to kids, I would show this picture. <laughs> because the book has pictures. Yeah, there's pictures. <laughs> Part of the cabinet. Um, instructions for collectors. First, a confession. I sometimes stay in the museum after hours. Sometimes I sleep there. You would think a museum would be quiet at night, but no. The objects talk to me. I have secret nooks where I listen. They tell me their stories while I make notes, scribbling in the dim light, recording as much as I can. After all, as a curator, it is my job to listen and make connections. Towards dawn, I often sneak home for a quick shower and a bowl of oatmeal. When I arrive back at the museum, crisp and clean and inspired, no one is any the wiser. I lay open my notes on my desk and survey the night's work. Few things are more pleasing than writing by hand in a notebook. If I've learned one thing from the objects, it is this. The secret to life is loving what you do. Not in certain hours of certain days, but in every moment of every day. I have decided to love. It was not always this way. Although I grew up in a family of collectors, there was a period of time when I stopped collecting. To be more accurate, I never stopped collecting completely, but I stopped believing in my collections. During that time, I felt adrift in the sea of the world, subject to random winds and tides, and cut off from mystery and beauty while happiness skirted my periphery. This continued for some time until I finally realized that I had to take control of my own boat and come home to myself. So I chose a different course and resumed my observing, collecting, and documenting practice. I immediately regained a sense of purpose. Knowing what I know now, I will never lose my way in this manner again. You can't abandon yourself and expect to, life your li to like your life. The Museum 
picture. <laughs> <laughs> I found out that kids are reading my book, which I'm not sure how I feel about. <laughs> After my reading in Ottawa, uh, one of the the friends that was there told me her eight-year-old son and her 11-year-old son had read the entire book. <laughs> and I was like, wow. <laughs> and then my sister sent me a video of my niece, who is also eight, who had just She's like, yeah, I got it up into the uh, Flanners Arcade, and I'm really loving it. <laughs> okay, these kids are interesting. <laughs> so I didn't know I was writing children's books. Oh, <laughs> we didn't market it that way. <laughs> no, I'm really so, you know, missing a market there. <laughs> the museum. You approach the forest from the wooded path with the slant thrill of being among its eldritch creakings and shadows, its vivid greens and abundance of decay and regrowth its hollow tree trunks and birds' nests, the countless secret hiding places. A white fox appears at your side. The light filtering through the trees almost disappears as you venture further in. The air is alive with animals stirring. You imagine you can hear eyes blinking in the bracken. The fox is a steadfast ghost beside you. As you walk, the path disappears behind you, yet you feel compelled to continue. Your feet seem to know the way. Hidden in the oldest trees at the heart of the forest is a castle. Like the fox, it appears ghostly. It is surrounded by a stone wall with two tiers of pointed railings and moss-covered pillars, each topped by an iron sphere. You feel euphoric. Your body floats up into the tree canopy. Up close, the leaves are layered like scales. The towers crouch in the dark lit up in places by lights in many tiny windows. As your eyes adjust, you begin to see gargoyles perched in nooks and under roof lines. Inside the mouth of one, you see something glint. The moment you think, what is that? Your hand is on its tongue. You hold a golden key. Show me your door, you think, and you find yourself standing at the foot of the tallest tower. The key slides inside the lock that it was made for, and the door swings open. The room stretches so high, you cannot see where it ends. Its walls are lined with shelves of books and ribboning flights of stairs. You start to climb the nearest staircase and pause at the first landing to run your hands along the spines of the books. You pull one off the shelf. The sound of ideas cascading over one another rushes instantly into your ears. You close the book. The sound stops. You put the book back on the shelf and choose another. Open it, listen, close it, select another. You continue in this way, walking up stairways and pausing on landings, opening books and letting torrents wash over you until you come to a table. On it is a book with a cover that seems to shimmer. You pick it up. The golden key feels heavy in your pocket. Overcome with a wave of sleepiness, you slide to the floor. Your back is supported by shelves. The place is quiet and peaceful. You open the book and close your eyes. Your mind kaleidoscopes open. It is as if the book is a cabinet. It is as if the book contains drawer upon drawer of treasures and secret compartments that expand into passageways. Passageways that lead to rooms. Rooms that open up into worlds you've always dreamed of. Worlds within worlds. Your imagination unfurls. You have entered the museum. Little Black Riding Hood. The weather has changed since her arrival. Fortunately, 
She'd had a vivid dream about storms the night before and thought to bring the wool cape her grandmother had made her. She leaves the comfort of the house and makes her way down the path through the trees, a canvas bag on her back. A cool wind kicks up around her, lifting her hair. Dark clouds gather. She draws the black hood up over her head. The chestnut trees drop their blossom petals like snow. They swirl in the air and collect in drifts beneath her feet. She strides forward, aware of the music the wind makes in the leaves and branches above her head. She thinks of her grandmother's warm, weathered hands, dipping wool and hot water to bind the fibers, and lifts her face into the wind. She smells rain. She walks a little faster, drawing the cape closer. How delicious, this gathering of energy, this being on the brink. How delicious, this feeling of something good about to happen, of knowing it's in the trees, it's coming. The Rose Lady. I had worked at the university for 30 years. That was the exact tenure of my hypnotism. Like all hypnotics, I didn't realize I'd been hypnotized until I became unhypnotized. One day, out of the blue, I woke up with a start and things were different. I blinked and surveyed my surroundings. It was like I was seeing the world for the first time. It was like I had just been born. I grew roses for eyes. My eyes still worked perfectly, but when I blinked, the petals moved and there was a slight, delicate aroma. Somehow this wasn't a shock to me. One thing I've learned is that everything has an antecedent. In the past, I would have spent a long time thinking about this, perhaps writing a paper about it. Not anymore. I left my job in academia and took my mind for a walk. Now I'm a sensualist, not an intellectual. My job is to dehypnotize. People come into my tent carrying bits of nature, a pine cone, a special flower, an iridescent blue feather found in the park. I ruffle my rose petals to scent the air and use my inside eyes and ears to deliver the message. I'm a nature reader, a translator for the modern age. Most of my visitors are city dwellers who feel disconnected in the sea of technology designed to connect them. They call me the Rose Lady. Close your eyes and inhale. Portraits. I wear my gold hoop earrings with the posts sticking out of the front of my earlobes. I'm always looking for a new way of doing things. My father once made a figure out of an orange peel at the dinner table and told everyone that it was me. All it had between its legs was a couple of white dangly orange rind threads. Everyone laughed. When he did this, a voice inside me whispered, you'd better grow up. I've been making things of my own ever since. I helped with my parents' tapestry business when I was a girl. Once when the worker from the Gobelin factory couldn't come to help, I stepped in. This is how I learned to sew and draw. When I'm awake during the night, I use whatever scrap of paper is nearby. I write words, scribble, and jot. I burn holes. I take whatever comes. I trust my unconscious. There are always colored pencils and pens and boxes of matches in the cupboard beside my bed. I am never without my supplies. Is surrealism unfashionable? Is psychological inquiry embarrassing? I don't care. I don't pay attention to trends. I do exactly as I please. I draw things at all times of the day and night. I don't take notice of the time. If I'm awake and there's a piece of paper somewhere, I'm busy. 
When I made my latex self-portrait, I was an adult. It started out flat and whitish and flexible, but it ended up much smaller and eventually turned the color of a lemon candy. The air crumpled it as it dried. It had a black smudge on one side that looked like a droopy eye, and the edge where it folded over itself got pressed together so that it looked like a pair of yellow lips. I took the dried lemon face and sewed it with pink thread onto a pink piece of paper. It didn't take much to attach it. Just a few loops of thread to keep that face in place. Well, I hung that piece of paper on my wall and laughed. My father had been such a jack and apes. I showed him. I'm always showing him. <laughs> the dreamers. People in the house sleep and spiders spin in the shadows under the floorboards. The man's wet wool sweater hisses softly on the radiator, quietly felting itself while he dreams of flying across blue water using only his arms. His naked body lies still under the sheets, only his eyelids twitching slightly. One floor above him, a woman is asleep too. Her mouth is open and her breath flutters a piece of her hair that has fallen across her face. Outside, the wind dances and trees Sorry, outside, the wind dances the trees back and forth. The blue curtain of, on her window puffs in and out. Everything is still and sleeping and breathing and moving. Spider legs have little hairs that are too small to see with the naked eye. The hairs vibrate almost constantly so the spiders know when to move. Sorry, Krista. <laughs> Arachnophobe on site. <laughs> uh, spiders like corners. <laughs> There are a lot of corners in this house, a lot <laughs> of spinners in the dark. The man's dream space stretches up into the ceiling above him. It bumps into the woman's bed and starts mixing with her dream space. The man and the woman appear in each other's dreams. The man sees the woman from high up in the sky where he is flying free and easy as a kite without a string. The woman is sitting on a bench in a park with her eyes closed, enjoying the sun on her face. She dreams that she opens her eyes and is surrounded by green and leaves and birds, and then she looks up to see a kite flying loose in the sky. In some intangible way, that kite reminds the woman of her downstairs neighbor, Bill, who is always wearing nice sweaters made for him by someone she has never met. And she smiles on the park bench at the sight of him, Bill the kite, flying high above her, free and easy in the sky. Almost imperceptibly, the blue light of dawn creeps up against the windows of the house, the spiders get sleepy and crawl into their cracks, and the sleepers return to their bodies. The man begins to stir when he hears the woman above him walk from her bedroom into the kitchen. Then there is the sound of her making coffee and toast and the smell of bacon, and the man gets out of bed to climb inside the day with the feeling of having been lifted and held for an instant in a close and reverent way. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And you just heard from the Invisible, Invisible Publishing Fall Launch uh, at uh, Novel Idea Bookstore on November 19th. And again, as emceed uh, by uh, publisher uh, Lee Nash, Susanna M. Smith launching her book described again as Curiosity Cabinet as a novel uh, collection of uh called a fair called fairy tale museum 
And uh, I thought it was great how uh, Lee explained that in that reading, so that's cool. Up next, uh, here is H.B., also known as Heather Hogan, uh, launching her collection of short stories called This Keeps Happening. And our third reader, last but not least, (laughs) is H.B. Heather Hogan. Um, Heather is a Toronto-based writer, and her short fiction has been published in Tattle Creek, This Magazine, Subterrain, The Chapbook, Two Stories from Proper Tales Press, and This Keeps Happening, just freshly out from Mm -hmm. Invisible Publishing. (laughs) So please welcome Heather. Um, With apologies to you all and everyone listening on Bruce's recording, I'm going to read from my book. (laughs) It's, It's different from what you've heard this evening. Um, this is, and uh, apologies to Team Coburg, who's <laughs> heard it before. <laughs> the Mouths of Babes. In the summer between first and second grade, I dared Becky Morton to eat the dog turd we'd found on the Griffin's front lawn. It was late afternoon, summer. The sun shone warm and sleepy on the nutty sausage at our feet. I sat down opposite Becky. My little sister and another kid from up the street flanked us. We stared with quiet intensity at the textured coil between us, as though waiting for it to speak up and object to my reckless dare on Becky's behalf. I'd lodged the dare in the spirit of carefree abandon, but it hung heavy in the air, loaded with the weight of its implications. My words seemed suspended just beyond my lips. Their lingering evoked in Becky the kind of resignation she needed to pull off this stunt, like the seasoned meter of dares she claimed to be. Sadly, that was the only card Becky had to play in the complex social labyrinth of our youth, self-destruction. Her Kool-Aid ringed mouth, stringy hair, and sour milk smell that hung to her clothes rendered her different, unlikable. But she was brave, and she usually did what we told her to do. We liked that. (coughs) Becky bought herself some time by pointing out the logistical flaw of my dare. In my excitement, I had not included any terms that required Becky to actually touch the turd, which she was loath to do, as its surface looked icky. (laughs) I, feeling defensive of my oversight and not wanting my dare to lose momentum, quickly handed her a serving twig and went back to holding my breath. (laughs) Becky pointed out that the stick had been on the ground, and so it wasn't hygienic enough to employ as an eating utensil. (laughs) My sister and I took the twig from Becky's grimy hand and carefully peeled back the bark. We explained as we did so that the tender green surface beneath the bark had long been known to bushmen and school children alike as a perfectly hygienic utensil, primarily used for roasting marshmallows, but easily adapted for other cuisines. <laughs> I handed the peeled switch back to Becky. Her silence indicated she'd reached the end of her stalling. We leaned forward, four sunburned heads nearly touching, as the cicadas filled the air with shrill notes of caution. <laughs> Becky li- licked her lips gave the coil an exploratory pat with the end of her switch. It cut the turd easily in two, rounding the edges like a dull butter knife would cleave a bran muffin. (laughs) (laughs) You're lucky, Becky, I whispered. Looks like you won't have to chew. (laughs) Becky drew the twig towards her and peered suspiciously at the matter clinging to its tip. It was now or never. She held the stick so close that I feared her next breath would draw her attention to the aroma, breaking the tenuous spell of my influence. 
You said you'd do it, Becky. We're all waiting. <laughs> she moved like lightning. In less than a second, Becky had stuck her tongue out and run it up the business end of the stick and then flung the stick to the ground. We all began to scream in revulsion and disbelief. She was stuck, her tongue hanging out, dog shit sliding down its pe moist pebbled surface to pull at its tip. She began to scream with the rest of us, no doubt just as horrified by her actions as we were. But her tongue was out of her mouth. Screaming proved difficult. At best she could only manage a nasal eh sound which did nothing to assuage her mortification. Thwarted, Becky bolted to her feet and fled across the sun-dappled lawn into the quiet sanctity of her neighboring home, where she was safe from the frenzied shrieks of her former friends. Us. I've often wondered about the sequence of events that took place after she'd entered the house. Was her mother there? Of course she was. I remember her always staring trance-like out the kitchen window at nothing in particular, while she idly stirred a pitcher of Kool-Aid. Did she know then that the Kool-Aid was the only reason we let Becky play with us? Had Becky's mother seen what happened? Or had Becky simply grabbed the first thing she saw when she ran into the kitchen, a dish towel, and rubbed her tongue raw with it? Would her mother have even noticed? What transpired later, when Becky's mother discovered the offending dish towel folded neat as a pin over the handle of the oven, inexplicably smeared with feces? Would she have demanded an explanation? Maybe Becky's mother knew that feces on a neatly folded dish towel could only mean a fall from grace, and that maintaining one's dignity in such circumstances requires a bit of mystery. Maybe Becky's mother, without saying a word, hid the dish towel under the potato peels in the garbage bin and returned to the task before her stirring yet another lurid pitcher of Kool-Aid for Becky and her friends. <laughs> Let's give everybody a round of applause after that. Um, and thanks again to Novel Idea, and books are available at the cash, of course. You have to do it. Shameless plug. Collect them all. Collect them all. Um, but Heather and Susanna and Tazia, I'm sure, would be happy to answer any questions that you might have, if you have them. If you'd like to ask them in front of the group. <laughs> and if not, you can corner each of them individually afterwards. Like asking Heather, for example, if her story is based on truth. <laughs> it's fiction. It's all fiction. <laughs> So, does anybody have any burning questions? It's okay if not. <laughs> Who did the artwork for your book? The oh. internal artwork? Yeah. Um, so they're all images that are available through Creative Commons through the Welcome mm -hmm. Collection, which is a museum in, based in London. <laughs> and um, yeah, I kind of wanted them all to have the same look and feel, yeah. so had fun searching for weird pictures to go with <laughs> so yeah that's where if you yeah. can look at a, a whole bunch of great stuff on their website and download just download whatever you want it's pretty fun yeah yeah it's a good resource i, I hadn't heard about resource. it before yeah. so yeah educational the publishing side is educational <laughs> 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 thank you all so much for coming and yeah please stay and browse and yeah. <laughs> and have a good evening. <laughs> <laughs>
And you just heard from Invis- uh, the Invisible Publishing Fall Launch at Novel Idea Bookstore on November 19th, again as emceed by Lee Nash, and uh, whose uh, concluding remarks you heard at, at, at the end. Uh, you heard H.B., Heather Hogan, launching her collection of short stories called This Keeps Happening. Tell you what, uh, let's do this, and I will be right back with... Uh, about 10 more minutes worth of announcements, it looks like now. So, cool. Do you like to dance? Tune into The Hustle with DJ Bolt every Friday night between 11 p.m. and midnight. Where you'll hear all the newest dance, electronic, French touch, booty bass, ghetto, deep, and tech house remixes and more. Let the hustle take you to midnight and beyond at 11 p.m. on 4 to the Floor Fridays. Only on CFRC 101.9 FM. Alcoholic drinks aren't created equally, and they all have a different percentage of alcohol by volume. The following are classified as one standard drink. 12 ounces of regular beer... 5 ounces of wine, 1 shot or 1.5 ounces of spirits, 12 ounces of cooler or cider. Binge drinking is classified as having 5 or more standard drinks in one sitting. Serious binging can occur while engaging in drinking games as more alcohol is consumed in a shorter amount of time. Now that you know what a standard drink is, you can avoid engaging in binge drinking. If you drink, Remember to drink with caution and keep in mind those who are around you. Standard size your drink. Serving sizes may be larger than you think. For more information regarding alcohol, please visit everydrinkisachoice.com. This is the opera. Hello, I'm David Smith, and I'd like to invite you to explore the exciting world of opera with me every Sunday at 11 a.m. here on CFRC. We'll listen to opera excerpts, full-length operas, and profiles of artists past and present. Please join me every Sunday from 11 till 1 for This is the Opera. Walk Home is one of the services provided to you by the Alma Mater Society at Queen's University. Walk Home is a completely confidential and anonymous service where students will pick you up and walk you to any location within our extensive boundaries. We are located in the Lower Cayley of the John Deutsch University Centre. You can request a walk by dropping by the kiosk or by calling 613-533-9255 during our hours of operation. We are open every night from dusk till 2am, Sunday to Wednesday, or till 3am from Thursday to Saturday. During exam season, we are open until 4am. Last year, we completed over 10,000 walks, walking the equivalent distance of crossing the width of Canada and back. 
So whether you're feeling unsafe, want someone to walk with after a night at the library, or feel more comfortable walking downtown with someone, call Walk Home. If you have any questions about the service, please feel free to contact us by calling 613-533-9255 or by emailing walkhome at ams.queensview.ca. And you are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. And we do stream live online at www.cfrc.ca. And today, uh, as I was trying to put the show together with really not enough time left in the hour to begin another series of readings, even those were would run over, uh, what I'm going to do, and I haven't been able to do it in a long time, there are a lot of calls for submissions out, uh, and some of them are going to expire quickly. And so I'm going to go through those. Uh, and before I do anything, because I will end with some recorded uh, uh, public service announcements and uh, CFRC show promotions to end the hour. So what I'll do is sort of... I guess, sign off now or say some of the things I would say uh, at sign off. But I do hope you stay tuned to uh, catch uh, at least some of the things on this list. I don't even know how far I'll get. Uh, but uh, I do want to say you have been listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. And uh, my name is Bruce here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. And again, we do stream live online, www.cfrc.ca. And I do want to remind you that each hour of uh, of these shows can be or will be uploaded to my blog space for it shortly after I get home. And uh, you can catch it there at uh, the blog space uh, link is finding a voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. We'll remain there approximately four years. And the other thing I'd like to do here is... Uh, let you know there's two hours of east coast music uh coming up at six o'clock with rob carnell saltwater music and so you might want to hang around for that as well and again i want to thank you for tuning in to today's show so let's go ahead and jump in here these are uh this is a broadsheet uh uh competition uh contest uh from the league of canadian poets it's open to both members and non-members, and uh, uh, there's a lot of information on these. I want to get through as many as I can, so what I can suggest is uh, I'm just going to talk about uh, maybe just give a title and the website, and then you can check it out, and the deadline. Okay, so that, uh, that contest is uh, has a deadline date of January 28th. Uh, you can find their submission guidelines and instructions at poets at poets dot uh, let's try this again poets dot ca slash broadsheet and that should take you there there is a 2019 Voden prize national competition uh, the scan uh, the dan school of drama and music at queen's university in partnership with kingston writers fest is proud to announce the 2019 Voden prize national competition with a first prize of fifteen thousand dollars second prize of seven thousand uh deadline for that is january 30th and uh website uh, 
It is. Yeah. This is fine print here. SDM.queensu.ca slash the dash voting dash prize, and that's V O A D E N. Uh, I'm sure a search will also pull it up as well. It is the 2019 VOADEN Voting Prize National Competition. Uh, call for submissions for short. This is short story award for new writers. Masters Review is seeking short story submissions. Their deadline January 31st. Uh, I'm sure if you just go to mastersreview.com, you will get the information. Uh, call for submissions. Uh, this one's January 31st as well. Uh, Juniper, they're a poetry journal. Uh, they're open for submissions through January 31st. And uh, they're, uh, you can get their guidelines and everything at uh, https uh, colon slash slash juniperpoetry.com. And uh, one more, and that was 31st as well. Let's do February 1st as well. Uh, it's the Unit 115 at Kingston Arts Council. They have a call for submissions. They're accepting applications for their community art space. Uh, and it says, uh, yeah, February 1st is the deadline. So just www.artskingston.ca slash community dash art dash space slash. And the rest of these are out into March, so let me page through quickly here and let's pull up the events. There's actually another uh, book lunch tomorrow evening. Hopefully the weather is going to be relatively nice. Uh, it is uh, Megan Hotchkiss uh, will be launching and reading from her young adult novel, Sea Drop Pendant, again, Novel Idea Bookstore, tomorrow evening. January 19th. Uh, remember that the bookstore closes earlier on Saturday, so this will start at 6 p.m. So uh, more information. They've got a Facebook page, so if you do, uh, yeah, uh, just go to Novel Idea Bookstore's Facebook page and you'll get details there as well. Uh, the Creative Art Focus, this just started. They had their uh, grand opening last night, and uh, it's a series of uh, the semi-annual student exhibitions uh, that Karen Peppercorn, uh, teacher at LDSB and LCVI, uh, and uh, she was the program coordinator and founder of the Creative Arts Focus program. I believe it's in its 28th year with her. I hope that's right. Anyway, it started this Thursday, runs through Sunday, January 27th. So you've got all next week, too. Uh, they're open uh, Monday through Saturday, uh, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then also Friday... January 25th from 7 to 9 p.m. It's a fashion and tunes night. And, yeah. Okay, creative writing at Queens. Let me get this one out there, too. Uh, looks like I just checked the clock. Uh, Brendan McLeod, who's a Toronto-based spoken word artist, theater artist, and musician, uh, is the author of one novel, uh, The Convictions of Leonard McKinley, a one-woman play, three monologues, Anyway, he is going to be uh, this month's uh, featured author at uh, Creative Writing of Queen, at Queens uh, in their monthly series. That is coming up Tuesday. This coming Tuesday, is that right? 
It is. Tuesday, January 22nd from 1 to 2.30 p.m. That's going to be in Watson Hall, room 517. If you don't know where it is, uh, 49 Bader Lane, you can also check Creative Writing at Queen's uh, Facebook page out as well. And uh, what do we do? Okay, cool. Let's go ahead and do this. It's not this week, but it's the next week out. So uh, then they start to get a little busier. So I'm probably going to allow some time next week, too, to go into these. Uh, But the next... Uh, in the monthly Queen's Poetry Slam series, uh, during the Queen's calendar year, the QPS series uh, uh, will be held the last Wednesday of the month at the Grad Club uh, with, of course, in, not in December or April. Uh, the next in the series will be held January 30th there. Uh, doors open at 7.30. The event begins at 8 uh, with an open mic, uh, followed by the slam competition. It's $5 or pay what you can. Again, Jan- Wednesday, January 30th, 8 p.m. Doors, I believe, at 7.30. Uh, they do have a Facebook page as well, I believe. So Queens uh, might be called QPS uh, or else uh, the Queens Poetry Slam. Anyway, you can find it. And let's see, what else have we got? We've got some events coming up in February, uh, but I will, I think, hold off on those because I don't think I will have time to even go through one of them. So anyway, I guess what I want to do here now is just uh, thank all of you for tuning in this afternoon. I hope you have a great weekend. Uh, hopefully it won't, we won't get too bogged down in this cold and whatever snow we're going to get. Uh, So just hoping uh, you have a great week. Tune in next week. I believe next week I'm going to be airing uh, just ahead of the the slam competition uh, coming up the Wednesday after. I will have, uh, I think I'm going to try to work in uh, last month's uh, Queen, uh, are we going back to November? Yeah. Uh, Queen Poetry, Queen's Poetry Slam as kind of a lead-in into that. And uh, then something else, I'm probably going back to the November uh, and the Journey Continues open mic reading uh, to fill that hour. So, again, hope you can stay tuned for two hours of East Coast music with Rob Cornell coming up. Catch you here next week. This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.